Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Parenting Yourself First. Jesus offers us a better way of parenting that doesn't leave us filled with shame and regret. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, everybody. After that ringing endorsement, I cannot wait to meet hundreds of you next week at Discover. It's going to be amazing. Hey, we're going to get right in our Bibles this morning. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. It's a little group of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. I always have to remember this. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and I still say General Electric Power Company to get there. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 4, just looking at one verse today. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. I want to invite you to get one of those. You can mark it up, circle things, take notes. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, then please take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. We're in week three of a four-week series called Parent Yourself First, where we're exploring what it means to parent in the way of Jesus. And what we've discovered is that parenting has very little to do with our children and everything to do with the parent. And that's because we can only control ourselves. We need to parent ourselves first. So if you've ever found yourselves tired of parenting, burned out by strategies that didn't accomplish what you thought they would accomplish and you wanted accomplished and you're continually filled with feelings of shame and regret or failure, if you're following in your notes, Jesus offers us a better way of parenting. He offers us a better way that doesn't leave us filled with shame and regret. And we've said this each week. Yes, this is a parenting series. We're talking to parents and sharing some parenting examples, but it's an apprenticing Jesus series. I will say today is probably the most parent-centered message of the four weeks, but I still believe there's applications to anyone here that you can apply to your own lives, your own heart, and any relationship that you have. So last week, we talked about the way of Jesus and what it looks like in parenting or any relationship for that matter. If you weren't with us, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that message on our website. It kind of gives a foundation that we're building off of and parenting in the way of Jesus and representing him. But I want to give us a quick review. I want to put this matrix back on the screen. This is a grace and truth matrix that we used last week. And if you're following on your notes, the only way, the way of Jesus is only and always grace and truth. I'm going to put that, sorry about that. I'll let you fill that out and then we'll put it back on the screen. The way of Jesus is only and always grace and truth. And then if we can put that back up on the screen for just a moment, the tension between grace and truth is love. But it's not this syrupy, sappy love, the definition that we usually give to it. In the Bible, love has a rich meaning. It is an action. It's not a feeling. It's giving somebody what's best for them, no matter what it costs you. And that describes the love of Jesus toward us. And Jesus is our model and our motivation to love others the same way. And so if we look at that screen, Jesus never lived in this high truth and low grace area. And he never called people out. He was authoritative. He wasn't authoritarian. He wasn't controlling. He wasn't impatient, harsh, or condemning. That was not the way of Jesus. Jesus was never low grace and low truth. 
He wasn't disengaged, apathetic, avoidant, or checked out. And Jesus wasn't Mr. Nice Guy and tried to be everybody's friend by hanging out. He wasn't permissive. He didn't avoid conflict. And he didn't try to preserve the peace by giving everybody everything they wanted. And it's this call-in and call-up way of parenting that is concerned about the hearts of our children. The other postures are all about what we can get for ourselves. Some peace, some quiet, some obedience. But the call-in and call-up way of Jesus is concerned with the heart. And this is so important. If you're following in your notes, Jesus is interested in the hearts of his followers. His entire ministry is focused on getting to the heart of the matter in people and not just their outward behavior. That's how he parents us and he disciplines us. And that's because negative behavior is not the root problem of a person. It's a symptom of a sick heart. The problem, again, like we saw with the word love, is our lack of understanding when we say the word heart. Because when we say the word heart, the first thing that comes to mind is the organ that is beating inside of your chest. It's the muscle that's beating right now inside of your chest to keep you alive. And rightly so. The heart is amazing. Just a couple interesting facts about our hearts as we sit and think about them and we feel this beating in our chest right now. Your heart will beat 115,000 times today. In an average lifetime, that's two and a half billion times. Your heart pumps one and a half gallons of blood a minute, which equals about 2,100 gallons of blood every day throughout your body. And your heart distributes that blood through heartbeats, which last about eight tenths of a second. Each beat consists of two cycles, the heart contracting in order to pump blood out to the lungs and the organs and the other body systems, and then immediately expanding to refill again. That is a lot of action for under one second. The heart is amazing. And why I say those things is I just want us to pause. We think about the fact that God is a creator and sustainer of life and he allows our bodies to function so intricately. When we pause to consider the science of his creation, it's breathtaking. And scientific advances allow us to know more about the heart all the time. But sometimes we can learn more about something by going backwards. We like to think we're the most intelligent culture and the most intelligent civilization that has ever existed. But those who've gone before us knew quite a bit about the heart. And we can learn a lot from the Bible when it comes to the heart. And we find that the Bible has a much richer meaning than just this muscle in our chest. If you're following in your notes, the biblical authors talk about the heart as the center of all human existence. It was the center of all human existence. Every choice you made, every decision you made, everything you did flowed out of what was in your heart. Our intellect, our wisdom, our emotions, our feelings, our desires, and our wills. The Bible gives scriptures that show us we do all of those things with our hearts. 
This is why over and over again, we see God instructing people to love him with all their hearts, their very lives. This is why the prophets would say that the only hope for humanity was the renewal of our hearts. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it reveals God speaking to his people. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's why we're told in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I love the New Living Translation of that same verse. It says, above, it says, where am I? Sorry. It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Your heart determines the course of your life. Jesus understood the heart in a similar way. In the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, we read about those in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Jesus addressed his followers and he provides them with what a picture of the kingdom of God looks like. And it's this upside down kingdom where Jesus reiterates that it's the motive behind our behavior and not just our behavior that matters. And he concludes in Luke chapter six, verse 43 to 45 by saying this, no tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our actions reveal what's in our hearts. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees, the most studied, the most religious, the leaders of God's people? In Matthew 15, 8, the Pharisees were more interested in following rules and religion. And Jesus says this to them. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So if we want to parent ourselves first, We need to hold God's word up like a mirror and see ourselves in the reflection, right? The reflection confronts us with several things. Here's the first thing that God's word confronts us with. If we're following in your notes, we must self-assess the condition of our own hearts. We have to self-assess because God is interested in our hearts. At one time, all of us had hearts of stone. Ezekiel said that, we just read it. We were self-absorbed. We were turned inward on ourselves with an inability to love others. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, then perhaps the greatest sin is the negation of love. I'm taking a class right now with a pastor named Pete Schizero. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he contends, he says this, loving well is the goal of the Christian life. Loving well, he says, is the goal because the foundation of becoming more like Jesus is loving ourselves and loving others the way Jesus loved. When we make this decision to follow Jesus, you saw people baptized today. We are given a new heart and a new identity. We are forgiven and made right with God. But... A massive change still needs to take place in our lives. The power of sin has been defeated. We can now say no to sin 
We can choose not to sin, but the presence of sin still remains. And we're always fighting this battle of turning inward. And this battle and this life of becoming more like Jesus is a lifelong progressive process. If you've, if you've noticed, it can be so frustrating at times, but this is the way we grow into the likeness of Jesus. This is the way God parents and transforms us bit by bit, piece by piece. And this is how we are to parent our children. There's this great quote by Paul Tripp. I want to put this on the screen. He says, here's what parenting is. It's unfinished people, we parents, being used by God as agents of transformation in the lives of unfinished people. But what I hope for, if we can just be completely honest, what I hope for is that I can put my kids to bed at night and they wake up the next morning as fully devoted followers of Jesus, fully sanctified, self-parenting, little human beings. But that's not how it works for our hearts or the hearts of our kids. Which leads to the second reflection when we hold up God's word. If you're following in your notes, we must name whether we're parenting our children for their hearts or for their behavior. Again, if I'm honest, I just want my kids to obey me and behave. That's my goal, my measurement of success in parenting. I may say it out loud, but I want behavior modification. And most of the time, I don't care about the heart of my kids. Can anybody relate to that? But the heart is the root of the problem. The heart's the root of the problem. If you're, if you're following in your notes, parenting for behavior gets at the what. Parenting the heart gets at the why. Right, we, and we have to establish the why as a priority because the behavior a person exhibits is an expression of the overflow of the heart. So we've got to get to the heart. Right now, my eight-year-old has a broken arm. He ended up having to have surgery last week. What if we would have gone to the doctor and the doctor said, you know what? His arm's broken, but I'm just going to put a Band-Aid on it and see how it goes. That would not address any underlying issues that need addressed, but that's how I sometimes parent. Let's just put a Band-Aid on this and fix the external what without getting to the internal why. And the difficult reality is this, parents. If we parent for the heart, there's a good chance behavior will follow. If we parent for behavior, there's little chance we're going to get the heart. So here's the million-dollar question. How do we parent for the heart? How do we do this? To answer that, I want to go back and look at the godly goal of parenting that we discussed in the first week of the series, Ephesians chapter 6, at verse 4. It's where you turned in your Bibles this morning. Would you read this in the gray box on your notes or on the screen with me? It says, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Remember, this is a goal because we can control it. Goals, we can only control goals. 
We can't have them for other people because we can't control other people. We are responsible for ourselves. And Ephesians 6, 4 is solely about the parent. We're instructed that instead of exasperating, which means to make someone lose heart or give up, it's like this slumping of the shoulders. Instead of doing that, we bring them up. And the words, if you're following your notes, bring them up means to nourish or feed. It has this uplifting, nurturing connotation. And just like food helps our kids grow, parenting helps our kids grow into people who hopefully know Jesus and practice his way. So then the question becomes, how do we bring them up? And we're told we're to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you're following in your notes, the word training is this idea of nurturing our children through instruction. And it also has a connotation to teach or to warn. There's a warning in it. And I want you to think about the best coach or the best teacher that you've ever had. Do you you have that image in mind, that person in mind? My guess is that person wasn't just all truth and point out what you're doing wrong. And they weren't all grace and gave you a participation trophy for everything you did. Right? The, The best teacher and the best coaches correct and instruct. And they do that for the students or the athletes future good. One of our boys runs the hurdles and he goes to a hurdles coach. She videotapes him and then they watch it back together. She tells him what she sees him doing right. And then she corrects and instructs him on what he's doing wrong. She might say, look at your arms, look at your feet, look at your steps. She's correcting and instructing. And she also provides warning. If you're going to do it this way, you're going to hit the hurdle and fall. She offers some teaching And then she has him go and do it again. He might not always like what he hears, but she wants him to be the best he can be. And he knows that. He knows that. And in the same way, parents, we are teachers and coaches. We are to correct our kids for their future good and not just point out mistakes because we're inconvenienced. Parenting is this lifelong process of partial conversations and unfinished moments where we encourage, correct, and train. This is long, hard work. And I just seem to miss that fine print when Sarah and I prayed for children. I just thought it'd be easy. So I want to share with you one of my favorite parenting memes that captures the long, hard work of parenting. It says... Being a parent is like jumping out of a plane with a bunch of people who don't know how to open their own chutes. So you fly around doing it for them. Then you hit the ground, but you don't die. You get up and cook dinner. (laughs) Here's another parenting meme. Our family loves Star Wars. So here's a parenting meme. It says, once I became a parent, I finally understood the scene where Yoda gets so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just dies. (laughs) Parenting is unfinished people being used by God as agents of transformation in the lives of unfinished people. And we do that by bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
Now, I want to spend a few minutes, our final few minutes together, talking about something very specific when it comes to the verse that we're looking at. Some translations use the word discipline instead of training. You may even want to write that word into that gray box on your notes where it says training. You may want to write the word discipline. And that's because these words are synonymous. If you're following in your notes, discipline and training are synonyms. They're synonyms. And yes, that's the first time I've used the word synonym on message notes. And middle schoolers and high schoolers, I am so sorry if I just triggered you with finals coming up. But they're synonyms. And what this means, and this is so, so, so important, especially for followers of Jesus. If you're following in your notes, discipline is not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. The Greek word for discipline is padia, and it means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior. And what this means, if you've had in your mind like I did, that discipline is like this one-time event that happens over and over. Can I just break that myth for you? Discipline is an ongoing process that involves confronting, correcting, consequencing if necessary, teaching, instructing, encouraging, and praying for our children. When my son goes to his hurdles coach, he's being disciplined. He is being trained. The definition of punishment, listen to this, the definition of punishment is the infliction of a penalty as retribution. As followers of Jesus, this is where our motives are exposed because in our sinful hearts, if we're honest, I don't want to discipline my kids for future good as much as I want to punish them because I'm angry at their behavior. Right? Perhaps they've embarrassed me or inconvenienced me. And sometimes I just want to get back at them. But listen, a child doesn't need punishment. He or she needs training and instruction. Discipline as punishment leads kids to acting the way we want them to act outwardly and resenting us inwardly. When we discipline this way, we are trying to control our kids through behavior modification and people-pleasing, not wise decision-making. Using punishment not only misses the heart of our child, it only addresses the short-term infraction without any long-term teaching. And the end result is we have exasperated kids who've lost heart or they're provoked to anger. And let me add this one free of charge, personal experience. When I use discipline as punishment, it makes my kids angry at me instead of angry at their sin, right? If we can train and correct appropriately, then it helps point our kids to their sin and their need for repentance and their need of a savior. But when I punish, my kids forget what they did wrong and they just look at me and now they're angry at me and the main thing's no longer the main thing. I've lost the ability to train and instruct. When we discipline, and this includes whatever method of discipline you choose to employ, our goal is not to punish or even to give a consequence. That's not the goal, but to teach. If you're following in your notes, as we discipline our kids, we are discipling our kids. We're discipling. And before you compose an email, 
that says, you are soft. This is terrible teaching. You're a pushover. You are completely wrong. Let me just add this if you're following in your notes. Discipline without punishment is not permissiveness. It's not permissiveness. Just because discipline is not punishment doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It just means consequences aren't the goal. But sometimes there will be natural and painful consequences, right? You break curfew, you lose your car. You're using your screens inappropriately, you lost your phone. You hit your brother with a lightsaber, even after being told not to, you lose the lightsaber. But the consequences are not given to punish. We have to be able to say this as followers of Jesus, because this is the way Jesus parents us. We have to be able to say sincerely, I do this because I love you, not to punish you. I do this to provide correction in your life because this is not the right way to go down. And this takes time and sacrifice because there has to be connection and conversation and training and instruction, not just consequence. I appreciate what author Emerson Egerich writes in Love and Respect in the Family. You can see his quote on the screen. He says, we don't give them, our kids, a pass and let them live in this permissiveness. We confront their failure to obey and we discipline them by correcting their disrespectful attitude with a loving attitude. Unconditional love then means we give our children the gift of loving and respectful demeanor when they do not deserve it. This is not about what they are failing to be. It is about what God is calling us to be. Parenting is all about the parent. And we must parent ourselves first. And the reason I'm so passionate about this, and the reason I wrote a book about this, is because when Sarah and I were grasping at straws as parents, we went to Christian parenting books, and most of them said, if you do this thing, you're going to get a positive result. And if you don't get the result you want, then you are authorized as a follower of Jesus to use whatever means necessary to get the desired outcome. And most of those means included punishing your child. And what I've discovered is that teaching is inconsistent with the way of Jesus. The reason we don't discipline with punishment is because that is not the way Jesus disciplines us. Remember, Jesus only practiced grace and truth with everyone. We never saw him punish anyone in scripture. Jesus never shamed anyone in scripture. He never screamed in rage at anyone in scripture. He never demeaned anyone in scripture. Instead, Jesus corrected people. He rebuked and warned people when necessary. He instructed, he encouraged, he called people up to something better than the way they were living. Jesus talked to people about their failures without a tone of you're a failure. How could you do something so stupid? Or how many times do I have to tell you? Jesus motive of discipline was and is always love in order to correct and restore us for our future good. If you're following in your notes, Jesus trains and disciplines us because he loves us. And we must discipline our kids in love. But remember the definition of love. It's not a feeling. It's an action. And it's giving somebody what's best for them, no matter what it costs you. And so just a really practical, 
practical way I've used this is when I'm about to do something in parenting, I'm, I'm about to explode and I still get this wrong, but when I'm about to do something, I ask myself, is this the way the Lord would discipline me? And if I'm about to do something that's not motivated by love, then I need to stop and pray. I need to give myself a time out and then come back to the situation and parent in the way of Jesus. When I was working on the book, I read a verse in the message paraphrase and the words of the apostle Paul cut me to the heart in a fresh way. Paul was parenting this young church in a city named Corinth. And he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse 14. He said, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. Why is it so hard to train and discipline and instruct in the way of Jesus? The conclusion I've come to is that it takes time, it takes patience, and I'm selfish. It's often easier for me to yell across the house than to walk to my boys' rooms and have a conversation. It is easier for me to call them out and power up and put an end to something instead of teach something. It's easier for me to check out and just scroll on my phone or watch something on TV than it is to take the time to instruct. And it is easier for me not to address the issue that needs to be addressed or never get to the why because I know it's going to take time and I know it's going to be a difficult conversation. I know there's going to be pushback. Listen, God provides moments every day for me to shape my kids' hearts and I see them as distractions rather than opportunities. So we bring our kids up with training and instruction. And do not miss the last preposition of the verse we're looking at today. You may wanna circle this in your notes. We bring our kids up, we nurture them, we nourish them in the training and instruction of the Lord. And what that phrase means is the content of our teachings and warnings, the method of our discipline. It will be from the Lord, through the Lord, and for the Lord. We are given children by God's grace for God's glory, and we ask for his help to parent in the way of Jesus. So the question we need to ask ourselves today, we've been asking a question each week. If you're following in your notes, am I parenting my child's heart or their behavior? And listen, all of us have fallen short on this. We all struggle. There's a level playing field here. And, And the answer to that question just helps us assess. Remember, we hold up God's word like a mirror. It helps us assess our own hearts. So today we wanna give you a moment to talk to God. Just name where you struggle. Where Where do you struggle? And ask God to work in your own heart and give you a desire to parent for the why, not the what, to parent the heart and not just behavior. And maybe today's the day you're not a follower of Jesus and you just wanna spend time talking to God about your own heart 
And maybe you give your heart or give your life to him today for the first time and let him do what you can never do for yourself. He could give you new life. But we wanna give you a moment. Just a name where you struggle, don't shame yourself. Just name it and ask God to work in your life and work in your heart in a way that only he can. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.